Are we seeing each other tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, right? we're doing um dinner okay. in Alta. If I don't get a fucking bucket load of free primers and lip glosses <laughs> and facial sprays. Someone <laughs> said the they point? got a free tote bag too, so I was like, what? Okay. I love a tote bag. <laughs> That was a really Saw. like weird accent <laughs> that just came out of me. So, this is the new and improved episode two of Cognitive Calamities, our first season of Majored in Psych. And we've got two more uh, psychology topics and, for you guys today. Oh, I was going to say neither of us know the topics, but I guess since we admitted we're, we're recording again... <laughs> Nah, you know what, you know, we're going to be completely honest, and y'all already probably know that we're re-recording this, but you know what? We stand transparency in 2019, and we also stand quality in 2019, so we wanted to put out a, but, just cut out this whole eight minutes. Right? We wanted to put out good content, and it was eating both of us alive that the original episode two turned out really bad, and somehow, no matter what precautions we took, the audio got really distorted, and it just wasn't worth it to keep up. So it is now a Thursday night, it is 10.16 p.m., and we're yep. going to record this again. So our, we and already like you know what? went through our topics <laughs> the first time, but we're going to do it again. We're still going to try to initiate conversation and discussion with each other. Um, I know that I actually went back through my research and I did a bit more and I took some stuff out and I rearranged it. So I'm excited for like the opportunity to like retell you the story because I think I'll be a little more fluent and I'll make you even angrier, which is absolutely my goal. So. <laughs> okay, I don't I don't know why, but it it keeps or like on my end it keeps sounding like you're moving like really like moving back and forth away from the mic. What? Okay, I don't know, that's weird. I mean, I'm like moving my I head slightly, understand. but not like anything dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it just it sounds like <laughs> like you're like moving your chair back. And coming back to, and moving your chair back, and coming back to. But that might just be like my headphones because my headphones keep picking up like weird God. interference too. So I don't know. But you know what? Who would we be without problems? Okay. So do you want to go first again? Oh yeah. Oh um, right, but right. Since we're redoing oh the second episode, we um. We wanted to talk about some causes that we wanted to plug for the rest of the season. Um, so, as many of you know, a very important cathedral in Notre Dame burned down, what was it, like 
a week ago? I'd say a week or two, two ago. Yeah, ago? it was still really recent. Um, the fire started because of some construction, yeah. I believe. So thankfully it wasn't like yeah. an arsonist or something pers- purposeful, but it was still a very tragic event because a lot of the art and architecture of the cathedral did get destroyed in the process. And though we honor that and recognize that it's a tragic event, um, there's been some things going on that just rub us the wrong way. And, you know, even though we talked about this oh, before, yeah. I can still get because mad it's an about ongoing it all over issue. again. Like and it I'm hasn't gonna, gotten any better. And I'm gonna. Yeah. So if you have been following that, you probably also know that almost immediately they so many rich people gave money to help rebuild the cathedral um governments you know several governments outside of france decided that they were going to donate money um just rich people in the states decided that they were going to donate money and almost overnight millions and millions of dollars were raised to help rebuild this cathedral in France. It is good that people did reach out and contribute to the um, reconstruction of this cathedral to try and rebuild everything that was lost. The problem lays in the fact that the quickness of how people willing to donate proves that there are people with the money out there who could donate to other causes as well. And there have been plenty of causes ongoing since before this church fire that have been ignored repeatedly. Right. It just blows my mind. The, the audacity, the, the quickness in which, yeah. In which people jump to solve this problem, despite the many problems that are happening in our country currently and for the past few years that could have been solved with probably even lesser money. And we are specifically talking about Flint. Yeah. So Puerto Rico, as everyone knows, was devastated by hurricane Maria. Hurricanes are very common in the U S so it's not like it's abnormal for States to get hurt. Well, in this case, Puerto Rico's a, what is it? A, um, a territory, but it's still part of the United States. And yet, unlike the other states that have been affected by hurricanes, for some reason, Puerto Rico has been completely pushed to the back burner. And there are still people suffering to this day that should not be. Flint, Michigan does not have clean water yet. I'm sure people have heard that being echoed all over social media because it's true. There's no reason why these people should have normalized having unclean water that leads to lead poisoning again like we have proven that we can give these people the money it's not like we do not have the funds they're just not going to these causes and you know we could we could talk about this forever and it's so convoluted and it's something that should not be political is political 
and something that should just be about basic human rights and needs has become political <laughs> and it's sickening and I hate it and I hate this place. These and, are people. Like you know, these are citizens. There's uh, I, I don't think I need to justify yeah. helping human beings, especially when they're American citizens. Like if we want to make this about America, this stuff is happening within our country. Like this isn't a domestic issue. And you don't have to look too far to realize what the reason is they're not getting the help that they need. Um, because if they look different, this would have been solved as let's, soon as it yeah, happened. Yeah, let's be real. And that's just the fact of Come the matter. On. So, you know, just in honor of that, um, instead of going through like all of the different organizations that you can donate to, um, we decided to put links on our website, majoredinpsych.com. There's links on there um, that will take you to pages on um, a website dedicated to charities. And um, it'll give you a list of kind of like all of the charities that charities that have to do with Flint and or Puerto Rico and you can sort of come to your own conclusion about which of those you'd like to donate to um even just you know a couple dollars if a lot of people do that it can make a difference I mean at the very least people in Flint still need bottles of water because the lead pipes haven't been replaced and you know a little goes a long way and of course so, we yeah, are also just going to be donating do. to these places as well we just figured we would try and use our platform to spread the word so yeah we just wanted to uh put in our <laughs> two times two cents into the topic uh before we get started on Thanks, guys. the actual topics for today. <laughs> um, so we said in our first episode that going forward, we weren't going to know each other's topics, but since <laughs> we suck at our jobs and <laughs> we had to redo this, we actually know what the other is talking about this time. However, going forward, we will not know. And if it does end up being a re-recording, <laughs> assuming everything I think we goes can well, tap that in at some point in the recording, like just so you guys know, our conversation might be a little—I don't want to say like fake, so to speak. But if we have to re-record, then we already know what the topics are. We'll let you guys know, <laughs> yeah. which might be a good thing because they our won't be our knee-jerk reactions necessarily. Aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> we can actually have some critical thought this time. Right. So I went Ooh, first last get. time, so we're gonna have Taylor go first again uh, with her topic. Okay, I'm really excited about this, and even though I already talked about it, I'm still excited about it because I could watch videos on this topic over and over and over again. I find it so fascinating. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about the psychological phenomena of fully adieu. Uh, many of you, if you're already into true crime, which I'm assuming a lot of you are, you've probably heard of this. 
Um, some really famous cases have involved foliadu, such as Sabina and Ursula Erickson, who were those uh, Swiss twins who like went on a rampage on a highway in the UK. One of them got hit by a fucking truck and then just got up and ran. The other one jumped off an overpass and like nothing happened to like just some crazy shit went down with these two twins. Um, And then one of them went off and ended up killing somebody. Um, Another famous case of Foliadu was the Trump family. Yes. Oh, (laughs) (sighs) do I want to make that joke again? Probably not. (laughs) The Trump family, T-R-O-M-P family from Australia. <laughs> um, they were, uh, I believe it was mother, father, two daughters, and a son who just up and left their house behind and drove across Australia. And along the way... Uh, one kid got out here, another kid got out here, another kid got out here, and they all separated for some reason during the period of this road trip, and then eventually all made it back to the house. So I'll talk a little bit more about them later, um, but for now I'm just going to go over some like background of what Folia do actually is. It's a Fallout Boy album. Sorry. A fantastic. <laughs> album anyway yeah it is great what is that song on there that's like my favorite what's it oh i don't care it's i don't care i fucking love that song so much okay so the dsm5 for psych majors like moi is basically the bible of psychology it's the book that holds all of the definitions of psychological disorders and such. So folia do in the DSM-5 is included under the schizophrenia section. Uh, is included under the schizophrenia section of the DSM-5. Um, it includes delusional symptoms in a partner or of... This is such a weird sentence. Delusional symptoms in... A partner of individual with delusional disorder. <laughs> I don't know if I copy and pasted that or what. <laughs> but it, it's like that meme you sent us earlier in the group chat. And Christina was like, am I having a stroke? Like, that's literally how I just felt reading that sentence. Just purposely mixed up all the words and you think you're just not yeah. reading it correctly. Like, I still don't get what it's supposed to say. <laughs> anyway, um, so criteria for something to be considered a case of fully I do is two people share the same delusion or delusional system and support each other in this belief. They have an unusually close relationship, which, again, like, I'm not really, I don't, I don't. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they mean they have an unusually close relationship prior to like the yeah. incident or if it becomes unusually close during. Um, but there's also 
temporal or contextual evidence exists that indicates the delusion was induced in a passive member by contact with an active member. So just to get it out of the way, since I'm going to be using it a lot throughout the, uh, throughout the case, the active member would be the more influential person. So this person is going to be the one that, uh, starts out with the delusion and then kind of manipulates and influences the passive member who then starts sharing the delusion with the active member. So kind of like the active member is the instigator, but they don't yeah. consciously realize they're like provoking the other person because this is a psychological. I think it kind of comes to a point where they're feeding off of each other in the delusion and, you know, egging it along. Yeah. But in the beginning, it's really one kind of influencing the other. Um, so this most often occurs in like people with close family ties. So like siblings, twins, especially, um, you know, mother daughter relationships, or just if they're isolated in some way. So if they're in an environment where they don't speak, the language with someone else or or like with the people around them or if they're just like geographically isolated um this actually reminds me of those those other the silent twins i feel like that could kind of be its own case of foley i do the silent twins do you know what i'm talking no do you not know what i'm talking about no no way <laughs> really no are you serious i thought you meant like the twins from the shining but i'm assuming that's not <laughs> no. no the silent twins were um it was these two um these two black girls who were um, yeah they were twins and they only talked to each other they did not talk to <gasps> anyone okay, i else. think that vaguely sounds familiar i didn't know i think like what they were called. I think BuzzFeed yeah. Unsolved did like a mini ep not like a full on like case, but you know how they have like their five minute episodes or whatever now? I think they did one on that. But yeah, I think they could kind of be considered fully I do. Because they did seem kind of fucking delusional. Um as of right now, there's really not a way to explain all aspects of the syndrome because it's kind of hard to uh, observe in a controlled environment which is how anybody gets information about anything so since they're not able to do that it's you know pure theory and um, case studies and what they have observed from you know interviews and cases that we have now so traditionally most literature we have says that the afflicted people typically are women with um of higher intelligence and unusually the younger person tends to be the active member which i find kind of strange i agree and i am still confused hearing that the second time around <laughs> yeah you i would think I, that like the younger person would be more susceptible to being influenced by like the older sibling or family member right. whoever it happens to be so that's really, there's like a vulnerability in the older person. And I don't know how to 
articulated, but that's really weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even like more nowadays, they're finding that in these cases that the the gender gap really isn't there. They're finding that all genders are kind of equally affected by this. Um, so, oh, where am I? Oh, yeah. So I found this article that, like, it did give me a lot of, like, good information, but the way they talked about it was, like, super gross and, like, Freudian about, like, wanting to fuck your mom and stuff like that. So I didn't like it per se. It it basically said that if the relationship between a parent and a child is filled with jealousy, rejection, anger, with a relationship becomes too sexual... Um, further than that of a healthy parent-child relationship, which boggles my mind because there should be no sex in any <laughs> sex of any kind in any <laughs> parent-child relationship. Um, but these guys... The disbelief in your voice. <laughs> I just don't get it. I don't get it. I hate that guy so much. I don't care. I hate him so much. Um, but in cases where this type of relationship exists, fully, they're more vulnerable to something like fully I do. Um, there's four subtypes. So the first one is fully impose. Oh, yeah. Forgot. I don't speak French. I only speak Spanish and English. So you're Pardon welcome. All those fluent French speakers that we have, but I... We have a tendency to, like, articulate French words using Spanish accents and pronunciations, so. They're both romance languages, right? We're going to (laughs) try. So, fully impose, the delusions of a person with psychosis are transferred to a person who is mentally sound. In this case, both persons are intimately associated and the delusions of the recipient disappear after separation. So the active member is mentally ill. The passive member is supposedly mentally sound. Um, And once the two are separated, the passive member is relieved of the delusions, but not the active member necessarily. The fucking two-page, two-sided curse. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, subtype B is fully simulon... Sim, simultane, uh, which is the simultaneous appearance of an identical psychosis occurs in two individuals who are both intimately associated and morbidly predisposed. So in this case, both members are equally vulnerable to mental illness and the delusion kind of hits both of them at the same time. And symptoms of this could be paranoia, lack of insight, disorganized thought processes, um, and lack of relatedness, Mm -hmm. I guess, to other people or like to the environment around them. Maybe they're feeling that they can only relate to each other. The next is subtype C, which is fully communique. Communique. 
the recipient, so the passive member, develops psychosis after a long period of resistance and maintains the system symptoms even after separation. So here, the passive member is really not giving in to the delusion at first, but I guess they do eventually, and even after they're separated. So unlike the first subtype, the, um, was it the uh, impose? Unlike impose, even when they are separated, the delusion doesn't go away. So the passive member is still deeply affected even after being separated from the active member. So the distance just doesn't matter in the subtype. Right. Which is fucking scary. And you know what scares me even more is the fact that like they were resisting it at first, but they still Mm -hmm. inevitably end up that just ooh, that gives me the creeps to like be fighting something like that but you still have to because fighting it probably makes you feel like you're going crazy yeah you're kind of gaslighting yourself not really sure what's going on i can't fathom this i will never be able to fathom this i hope i never have to endure it but it's just very unsettling i hate it um, so the last subtype, subtype D, is Foley in Duarte in in du- Yeah. <laughs> New delusions are adopted by an individual with psychosis who is under the influence of another individual with psychosis. The mental status exam, so I guess like the mental status exam could be considered like um them being evaluated after the fact. Uh, the mental status exam would indicate one psychotic patient um, oh no okay hold on the mental status exam would demonstrate similar symptoms to a psycho- to a psychotic patient like paranoia lack of reasoning and judgment and insight Again, poor relatedness. They would also limit their eye contact, have kind of bizarre, um, quote-unquote bizarre mannerisms, be kind of fidgety, and magical thinking. Which I guess is just kind of another word for delusional thinking or maybe hallucinations or something. Magical thinking. Hmm. Yeah. And really the only treatment is... They have to be immediately separated, first of all, and um, typically some kind of hospitalization is required, but at the very least, they would be given like medications or uh, what do they call it? Chemical treatments. Um, oh my gosh. My mom's telling me to go get Willie, but if I bring him down here, he's going to make so much noise gonna pull hair out of my microphone real quick okay so just a couple examples before I get into like my longer case so there was um kind of one of the first cases that they um like documented involved twins um who were um I hate when there's like a word I want to use and I just can't think of it. It's me every single time I speak. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Plagued. Okay. The twins were plagued with 
paranoia, uh, preoccupations. They couldn't, um, you know, the same old, like, lack of reasoning and judgment. Um, And they demonstrated passive suicidal ideation, but had no actual, like, plan to fulfill that. Um, There was violent and homicidal thinking, and their mood was very irritable, irritable. And this was sort of like the baseline of how they, um, you know, kind of diagnose cases going forward. A really light case before we get into the bad case <laughs> um, was there was a case and it's not even really that light. It just has a dog in it. So it's better. <laughs> um, there was a case where this 83 year old widow. So she lived alone and she had been for the past 15 years. She um, kept complaining that whoever lived above her was excessively making noise. And she said that he was moving furniture all the time late at night. And she started believing that he was specifically doing this just to bother her. And eventually over the period of six months, instead of it, just being to bother her she was convinced he was trying to harm her she started sleeping under her kitchen table she literally dragged her mattress off of her bed brought it into the dining room and slept under her dining room table to block herself from the harmful rays that she insisted he was shooting down through the floor (laughs) to kill her i should not put any like rational thought into this as an objective person who has never gone through it but it just it blows my mind that this woman genuinely thought that this neighbor above her was like solely just singling her out like he had no other reason to exist except to apparently harass her like he wasn't just like he was some operative that was sent to torture an 83 year old woman trying to live his life in his apartment every move he did was to maliciously affect her that that's and it's so obsessive like you just think that this person is obsessed with you and the thought of that gets you obsessed what the hell (laughs) and it makes me think if she's 83 it could be i feel like that's old enough for it to possibly be related to dementia of some sort i was just about to say yeah um so she had a dog who was, I think he was 10 years, she, sorry, she was 10 years old. Um, and the dog would sleep under the dining room table with her owner. And the dog had gotten so conditioned that people observed whenever the dog would hear a noise coming from upstairs, she would immediately run under the table and hide assuming that she was going to be hurt and she would also and that's just that just breaks my heart as someone who is a dog yeah lover. and you can understand this as a dog lover like yeah she it, she was just conditioned to do that like she didn't necessarily know what was going on she wasn't conscious of it but i guess she just associated like her human being distraught and they had to be under this table well, yeah because like how much they're so oh, intuitive yeah If they, if a dog thinks that something is trying to harm their owner, like they they trust, they trust you. So they're gonna, 
follow this that. must have been like a repetitive ongoing thing of her seeking shelter under her table for the dog to just know right. like this is the safe place yeah so it makes me think was she going under the table every time there was a noise like was the the lady going under the table every time there was a noise or was it just when they were sleeping that is what is that pavlov's conditioning if it's every time it's a noise yeah <laughs> <laughs> I learned one thing in Psych 100, guys. Jesus. I barely remember anything. It's so horrible. I have a degree, and for what? I mean, it's been a while. Two years, actually. <laughs> the, like, 25th of this month, I think, is, like, two years I've been out of college. Yikes. We're not going to go down there. That road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to, as if I haven't cried enough already tonight. Okay, I'm so, so sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Okay, so this brings me to this. I I never heard of this case, and it blows my mind because it's so crazy. And then as somebody who's like so like deep into the true crime community, I can't believe that this isn't something that's talked about more because it's like truly one of the craziest fucking things I've ever heard. So there was this case of three sisters living in South Carolina. And for the life of me, I could not find their names anywhere. I don't know if they're being protected for some reason, or if there just hasn't been a lot of coverage because it's like somewhat recent. I don't know. But I couldn't find their names. So throughout the case, they're just referred to as Sister 1, 2, and 3. Um, so Sister 1 was the youngest at 21. Um, she had sort of displayed um, maybe some signs of mental illness in her last year of high school. So around 17, 18, like insomnia and depression. Um but the insomnia kind of faded away for a few years, but it started um, kind of creeping in again in her college years. And around her sophomore year of college, the insomnia was, you know, full on back. And it was so bad that she started to isolate herself socially and subsequently left college so her sophomore year of college she dropped out because of her insomnia and her depression and she moved back in with her sisters and they noted that or not necessarily her sisters but like people around her noted that her affect was pretty flattened so she wasn't really displaying like any you know major emotions she was pretty stoic a lot of the time which is like typical of like people who suffer from depression it's just i yeah. it's like she seems to have been undergoing like things that no one would really bat an eye to in the beginning yeah, yeah which is so annoying yeah but uh sister two was the oldest at 23 um she had graduated from college and was working in Early childhood, early childhood education. She was the fourth grade teacher for the past two years. Um, 
up until the point of the incident I'm going to talk about. She was not married. She did not have any children. She was a full-time teacher. Um, but she had just broken up with her boyfriend. So that can be noted as kind of a stressor. Um, and finally, their sister three, who was 22 at the time of the incident, um, she had went to high school and college, but she actually dropped out like right before graduation um, because of depression as well. So it clearly runs in the family. But like her sister, she didn't, you know, seek any treatment. She married at 19, um, had three children, um, and she was not employed. So I guess her husband was, you know, like well off enough to support the whole family. So she was a stay at home mom. Um, so just from that description, we can kind of conclude that all three of the sisters, well, at least sister one and sister three have a history of mental, um, have a history of mental illness. It doesn't specifically say anything for sister two, but clearly since she's part of this case, there's something going on. <laughs> um, so at this point, they all live together. Um, so sister one and sister two moved into sister three's house with her husband and three children, which just sounds like a, a fucking hot mess to me. Like that just sounds like it literally just sounds like a suffocating sounds like environment. so many people. Even, yeah, even like mental illnesses aside and the circumstances that are about to happen, all the chaos you're going to inevitably find. <laughs> like I can't imagine right. living with three other well, I guess one sister was the only one with the family, right? The other two right. sisters didn't have a family. Yeah. But yeah. still, like you're living with your two aunts and your Too your much. nieces and your nephews too much um so sister three was actually um starting to think that their mother was going to hurt her children so she started isolating her children you know away from that but it was kind of weird because there was no indication that the mother was like in the house with them so I don't know if there was like a history of domestic abuse or something like that, but um, she sort of, that was sort of the first instance of isolation. Um, and like I said, at this time, all three of them lived together and they started isolating themselves away from everybody else. So the three of them were so ingrained in each other's lives and they just stopped talking or like interacting with anyone else. Um, but obviously sister three's husband wasn't really okay with this. And he had the other two sisters move out, but they just moved right next door. Amazing. That's, that's progress. Yeah. But it didn't do anything because they were still inseparable. They still were like obsessed with each other and only spent time with each other. So by this point in time, they had become, strangely and obsessively religious and prayed all of the time. And I mean, around the clock, concentric circle, naked praying all of the time. Um, for like days on end. Um, so for the days leading up until the incident, 
they prayed and prayed and prayed and did not sleep. And like I said, they got naked and sat in a circle and prayed like a fucking cult because they they said that clothes were restricting and they, they were relieving themselves of, you know, earthly restrictions, basically. So... It was later identified that Sister One could be considered the active member or sort of the catalyst of the group. She became convinced that God had a mission for her and her sisters. And she started telling them that somebody was tampering with the Bible to impede them from, you know, receiving the messages that God was sending them. Like, what are these messages, though? Like, I w- what I exactly. would have given to be a fly on the wall when they were praying just to hear yeah. the content of their prayers. Like, I know it was already, like, unnecessary, like, but I just want to know what they were saying for hours on end that they felt, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, like, oh, the message was, so God was telling them that this specific house in the neighborhood that sister one just so happened to adore was meant for them. So this house was, you know, like their promised land and that it was their duty to take over this house. So sister one even compared it to like Moses receiving, you know, word from God about the promised land. Um, so the day of the incident, the three sisters, after they're done naked praying, they put on some pajamas, they get the three kids, they hop in the car, and they drive to this house that someone lives in. So this is an occupied house. They drive up to this house. Sister one, well, actually, first, all three of the sisters go to the front door Sister One knocks on the door, a nice gentleman, I'm sure, opens, and she asks him, is our room ready? Like you're in a hotel. (laughs) That's so fucking weird to me. Is our room ready? That's very, like, yeah, you don't know if she's necessarily being deceptive. I mean, she's deceived herself, so it's like, why, why that specific phrase? so fucking weird so he tries to shut the door of course they don't take it and they try to force their way in they start throwing stuff at the windows to try and break theirself in the occupant of the house calls the cops the cops show up sister one and two start going after these cops they are yelling at each other to kill the cop they're beating him And for some reason, they just can't be subdued. Meanwhile, Sister One had broken her way into the house and attacked the homeowner. Jesus. So more cops come to the scene. Eventually, they get detained. They take the girls, sorry, they take the women to the station. They put the kids in protective custody, you know, for the time being. And they put the bitches in the same cell. That's not, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. Uh, 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 They just violently attacked you and someone else. Together. And you, yeah. Like you did this as a group. So you realize they associate with each other and you're going to 
let them scheme or whatever in the same cell. So fucking dumb. And, you know, right on cue, they strip down, (laughs) they sit down, and they start praying. So for three days in this jail cell, they don't eat, they don't sleep, they don't clean themselves, they just pray. They pray and they pray and they pray. So I guess like an officer tried to go in and get them to shut the fuck up <laughs> for like two seconds. And <laughs> and they go at it. And two hours and 15 cops later, they're finally subdued. 15 cops to get three women down. And this is like as I mentioned before, when we talked about this, like people who get on those drugs that give them superhuman strength, yeah. they can lift cars and it takes multiple people to restrain them. Right. That's what I was just about to say. Like there's in like a lot of these cases with folie do like this is actually considered folie, folie a toi because it's three people. But anyway, um, like in these cases, for some reason like they get superhuman strength like like i brought up in the beginning like sabina and ursula they one of them got hit by a fucking tractor trailer the other one jumped off an overpass and they just got up and walked away and it's like but there there is like evidence that like adrenaline in your body can can make that happen and since all pain is, it's just like synapses in your brain firing and, you know, like neurons activating and shit like that. Like, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's just strange that this happened. Yeah. Um, so eventually they all pleaded guilty um, by reason of insanity. All three of them were hospitalized. Sister one, the active member was hospitalized for a longer period of time than the other two. And when she was finally released, she was put into a residential care community. So she had a little more independence, but she still had like some supervision. Um, And she was put on like long-term medications. What the fuck? Um, Sisters two and three had like shorter term hospitalizations. And then they were kind of just, And I think they had like therapy afterwards, but they were sort of released back into their normal lives. But to this day, they are not allowed to see each other without supervision. The three of them are not allowed to get together without like a, I probably, I'm assuming like a court ordered, um, like official supervisor. And And I mean, that's, that's like heartbreaking and all, but at the same time, they are literally toxic to one another right like given this very specific mental illness they would feed off of one another and probably relapse so exactly especially like even if they are receiving care like who's to say that them being around each other wouldn't sort of stimulate the idea in their head like oh they're 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 just trying to hold us back let's stop taking our medication you know like they're trying to like who's to say the delusion wouldn't start like reliving itself right um but yeah that's all i got wow what a great bedtime story (laughs) now tell me a better one (laughs) ew that sounded so gross (laughs) i hated that (laughs) okay i actually have this on my phone 
Hold on, I'm like readjusting my knee. Oh god. Oh my god. Oh god. Did you know I'm 78 years old? Yeah, she has the brittle bones of a grandpa. Oh my god. Of that 83-year-old woman. <laughs> Newsflash, okay. that was just me in the future. Stop with minus the <laughs> minus the paranoid delusions, I hope. Eh. Oh my god. Makes things exciting. Okay. So my topic is going to be on a certain doctor called James Marion Sims, because apparently I have an affinity for quack doctors, hence the title of our episode. (laughs) And I was thinking about it. I was like, why am I so drawn, especially in this context to this doctor? Like, what does this have to do with like necessarily like psychological issues but i was thinking like you have to have a certain mindset to do this shit that this guy did this isn't a what would you call it a um ah what's the word i'm looking for a neurotypical person i'm sorry not to like throw around labels and stuff i don't know if this guy had any legitimate mental illnesses but racism is a bad mindset (laughs) (laughs) that being said (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i first found about found out about this guy through an article on facebook and i decided to just kind of dive in so james marion sims is a physician who spent most of his career immersing himself in work that helped to eradicate complications during pregnancy and childbirth in the 19th century particular particularly an issue called vesicovaginal fistula which I will refer to as VVF for the sake of me not twisting my tongue every time I say it. (laughs) Um, He's known as the father of modern gynecology because of his involvement with treating VVF. Uh, Yeah. He has statues, which I will get to a little later. Like he's been praised. Um, So there's obviously a large divide when it comes to his work. There are people who praise him wholeheartedly and blindly because of his successful work. But then there's also people who can acknowledge that how he got to his success and his fame does not justify what he did. Right. Yeah. His work. He's. I try. I'm only adding in this objective view because i'm trying to be an objective person but i really hate this guy i mean do we actually need to (laughs) (laughs) i think it's pretty objective to call out racism um oh yeah i mean like there's there's no like opposite end of it (laughs) like no yeah like i can't i'm sorry i can't like sit down in good faith and praise this guy being a black woman myself so The reason I mention the racism is because this guy did experiment on African-American slaves. Again, this is the 1800s, so slaves were a thing, plantations, they were available, they could not consent. Um, So, okay, give me a second. My wonderful headphones just fell off again. So we'll just cut this piece out it's fine so my my buddy sims he also invented the vaginal speculum for examination 
He invented what is known as the Sims position when women get examined. I did not. Ew. Yeah. And I didn't want to know what that was or what that entailed. So I didn't look it up. But I assume it's like a common position for gynecologists to use to like properly examine a woman. He invented that. So. Ew. I don't I don't like it. He founded the first women's hospital in New York in 1855. And lastly. Like I had mentioned, he found a cure for what was originally an incurable ailment that preyed upon pregnant women. Um, and that's what we'll be focusing on. He cured VBF. However, the way he did it was very unethical. Um, background knowledge about the 19th century when it came to childbirth, as many would expect, it was a difficult time for women. There was no birth control, so birth rates were very high. The means of delivering a baby were very archaic. So women were very likely to suffer from complications when they had a baby. One source even said that they would call it their their time of trial. Like they kind of expected it to be a negative yes. expectation. Yeah. So it wasn't like what we would consider nowadays of like the miracle of birth. Like they they knew they had to have kids. That was not uncommon, but they dreaded the process because they knew they could possibly die. Uh, I hate being a woman. Okay. Um, women were extremely susceptible to infection. There was an illness called childbed fever. That was one of the more well-known ones that they would suffer from. Babies were born at home more often than not, and they had midwives who helped them. And of course, these midwives weren't like, they were midwives because they had also gone through this trial of having multiple kids. So they knew to like help other people. Oh, yeah. Okay. Women gotta stick together, us suffering women. Especially, like, they, like, probably every woman that did have a kid back then did have multiple kids. Because yeah. there's no such thing as contraception. Exactly. Vesicle vaginal fistula was a condition that many women tended to suffer from. Again, it was a product of rape, hysterectomies, and certain cancer operations. So, what would happen is. Prolonged labor would cause the unborn, unborn child to tightly press against the pelvis, trapping the bladder, the cervix, and the mm. vagina, and cutting off all blood flow to the vesicovaginal wall. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. So the pressure of the effect, the pressure on the affected tissue, would cause it to necrotize or die. You have dead tissue, and that would form a hole. And that would lead to women having excessive urination that they could not control. So you could be walking on the street and you would pee yourself. And it could go for as long as it needed to. And there was no means for you to stop it. You just had this permanent hole in your bladder. Mm. Obviously, this affected a woman both physically and psychologically because they were constantly on guard when they were in public. They had to worry about their personal hygiene. They were mortified. You know, like, and I'm sure they were shamed yeah. to all hell for it, which is hilarious because back then gynecology wasn't exactly a thorough field. Like men refused to work with women in that way. They called it repulsive. So no one actually wanted to help these people who were dealing with it. Hence why it was called incurable for the longest time. Jesus Christ. Sims himself was even quoted as saying, if there was anything I hated, it was investigating the organs of the female pelvis, end quote. Then what the Mic fuck? Mic drop. Oh, yeah, well, 
we'll find out his motivation for helping people in a second. So Sims was born in 1813 in Lancaster County, South Carolina. In 1825, his father sent him to the segregated school of Franklin Academy. And I have to note this because I thought it was hilarious the first time. Um, Wikipedia has Franklin Academy and then in parentheses next to it, white only. <sighs> so he went to like an all white male school, which was normal. This is I was about to the say, did they, they but... probably only had white schools back then. Those are the only people that deserve schooling, of course. Um, he worked beside a Dr. Churchill Jones as an intern, and he took a brief course at a medical college. He moved to Philadelphia and attended Jefferson Medical College for one year. So this was normal for doctors of the time. <laughs> Three months as an intern, medical college for a year, and he could call himself a doctor, basically. I fucking wish. There was no such thing as grad school or pursuing a PhD. And it's frustrating because one source notes that despite him going through the schooling, there wasn't really a specific field he was passionate about. He was just kind of going through the motions, you know? And I, you definitely have to have a determination or a want to become a doctor because you're helping people. Like, where's I wonder your if humanity? the pay was like still like I wonder if it was as desirable as it is now like I wonder if that was his motivation yeah probably um he originally opened a medical practice in Lancaster but he had to abandon it because two infants died under his care feeling undeterred he would move on to Alabama and he focused on treating enslaved patients which brings me back to your point this was like a cash grab. Everyone owned slaves back then. So to have a doctor on call that could help your slaves meant money for you and prestige, I guess. Right. Um, Vanessa Gamble at George Washington University men mentions the idea of soundness, Ugh. which means you needed a sound slave to reproduce and work productively. Oh. So mm. Sims helped maintain the soundness of the slaves at this particular plantation. Ooh. I, yeah, um, uh, it's 11-11. I have a lot of wishes to make <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, in 1840, he and his wife would relocate again from Macon County to Montgomery, Alabama. And this is where he would eventually build up the largest practice in the state. So... Between 1845 and 1849, Sims would exploit 12 Black women in order to study and access his findings for a cure for VVF, operating on them repeatedly and seemingly without any cause or plan. I'm not in the medical field. I do not claim to be. But I believe when you are about to tackle an incurable disease, you would have like maybe some notes or a map that kind of like helps you figure out where to start and with him it seems like he just the reason he had 12 women was because he was just doing trial and right. error and i'm sure you're gonna get into this but if you don't see the people you're working on as people you don't care about your pain therefore you don't have to take precautions yeah, like he saw these pain. women as disposable. I'm sure if he didn't get after the 12th woman, he would have found the 13th, you know? And these people, 
these slaves, these victims were being brought by their masters. So they didn't have a choice in the matter. It was just, and yes, okay, these women did suffer from VVF. So yes, they did have this ailment, but they should have still gotten the same whether they wanted to be the guinea pigs for the cure. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was like a tiny hospital, this like sketchy ass building behind his house. Ew. <laughs> Three of the women are named. One fourth of the women that he experimented on were given the humanity of being named. I could not find anything on any of the remaining nine women. So their identities are just lost in the history of this doctor, which makes me infuriated. Um, there's Anarcha. Betsy and Lucy. Anarcha had a particularly difficult combination of VVF and something called rectovaginal fistula, and she underwent apparently, allegedly, from 13 to 30 operations before Sims was able to um, close the holes in her bladder and her rectum. Imagine how many other conditions she now had because of these surgeries but thank god the hole in her fucking uterus is closed or wherever the hell it was like now what does yeah. she have to deal with and the trauma itself the psychological trauma of just having to sit on that operating table or where, wherever he had them as if being enslaved wasn't enough and then lucy was only 18 and she nearly died from something called septicemia because a sponge was left inside her following a procedure. And during this procedure, there were also 12 doctors in the room watching her as if it wasn't already mortifying enough. So she almost died and she was treated more like an experiment because I guess he had doctors like taking notes and watching him. Ugh. That makes me, this is equally as sickening the second time. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> that this is still appalling like yeah so i ugh. didn't find anything specific on betsy's um procedures sims's work was focused more on finding a cure i think it's safe to say that he didn't care about the well-being of his patients and he's been compared to the numerous other medical experiments on black bodies such as the tasigi syphilis experiment that whole trend of black bodies being used for the greater good of medical progression, except it wasn't. Nah. There was obviously, again, an aspect of racism here because Black people were just seen as subhuman so they could be used in these experiments. Um, so, gosh, what, what more can I say? He did not believe that Black women could feel pain. That was another one of his justifications for doing this. He just, which does not make any sense because no. there are documents with Lucy that explain that she was screaming out in agony. So what exactly did you think that was? Obviously, even if you had that toxic mindset, there was proof that you were causing this woman pain. Yeah. So he didn't use anesthesia, even though... One source claims that a dentist developed the use of something called ether anesthesia, anesthesia in 1846, which was only a year after he started doing these experiments. So it was available. He just didn't use it. Because they can't feel pain. 
allegedly. Hmm. But then on the other hand, when he created the women's hospital in New York, white women were exposed to the procedure and could not withstand the pain. So it seems like he waited until he was operating on white women to validate the amount of pain that the surgery involved. Uh, okay. <laughs> one new thing I also noted was that one writer calls him out for hiding the ethnicity of his subjects once he moved up north. So he portrayed them as white in the illustrations that accompanied his accounts of the surgery. Oh my god. Yeah. So oh, and I, and I'm sure he hid the the fact that you know a bunch of them probably died and that they oh, were yeah. screaming in agony and that he left a sponge in one of them. <laughs> one um author says that he graciously used the n-word within the context of slavery before all this happened. So again, <laughs> if you're still on the fence about whether this guy was racist, I'm not sure what to do. You should just turn us off right now. Literally. <laughs> I don't know what more proof you could possibly have or need. So that was No, you cannot say the N-word. No, you can't. <laughs> if you were not black, quoting Amine, don't say it. It's my kid. Pretty boy. Um so that's Dr. Sims. So yes, he did eventually find a cure for VVF, but it took twelve women and deaths and trauma for him to get to that point. And it it was all a cash grab. He didn't care about gynecology it repulsed him until he realized he could make money off of it and then suddenly he decided to be the face of gynecology and that that sickens me that people still call him that because didn't you say that there was like a guy defending him yes and i didn't go into much detail about that this time around but i did read an article and it had a lot of really good points. I have a lot of my research on this article. And then halfway through the article, I was like, oh, this guy sounds a little defensive of Sims. And he turned out his argument was basically, we can overlook what this guy did because look at all the accomplishments that came afterward. Mm -mm. And I, mm -mm. Wasn't, I wasn't down with that. Mm -mm. Nah. No, 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 no. And quoting from that same article... I'm going to quote the woman that he was arguing against who was dismissing Sims. This woman, her name is Dorenda Ojanura. She pointed to three factors. One, slaves could not give rightful consent to surgery. So that in itself means these should have never happened, regardless of the outcome. Second, and we already touched on this, his refusal to give anesthetic to black women was racist. Right. Um... And then number three, progressions in the medical field were not impossible to execute ethically. Yeah. As in, she's saying there are better ways he could have gone about this if he really wanted to make progress in the medical field. He did not have to be so barbaric, but he chose to consciously. Right. Like, he didn't obtain basic consent, and he willfully denied these women anesthetics that were available there is just... because he, they were what two-thirds of a person Basically. so they didn't feel pain what, what they only feel two-thirds <laughs> of pain like, like like i don't i don't understand I don't he's understand. so prolific that there are multiple statues of him um 
major cities such as New York and Alabama housed them. However, fortunately, in April of 2018, the one in Central Park was removed because there was a large petition that was signed and many POC citizens complained that its presence dealt a striking disservice to the area. So that one was taken down. I can't say the same for the Alabama one because that's where most of his work was and he grew up in Alabama. So I guess they're still struggling with the idea that he's a good person. There's, I feel like there's a way to use someone's research without glorifying them. Because how many women and people of color's research do we use and they don't have any fucking statues? At least put the statues of the three women that we know of. If it weren't for them, if it weren't for their bodies being subjected to this. Sims wouldn't have meant shit. They're the ones that should be being like congratulated and glorified. Like, oh my God. It shouldn't even be an argument. (laughs) And that argument trails back to the idea of Confederate statues being vandalized and being asked to be taken down because we look at these guys as heroes completely brushing over some of the things that they did in their past, those heinous acts. There's just no reason for Confederate statues because people seem to forget that the Confederacy didn't even want to be part of the United States. Like, if you want to get patriotic, these people were far from patriotic. If we're going to go there, I'm just going to take a second and say you're dumb as fuck if you think the Confederate flag is patriotic. It's literally the exact opposite. They did everything in their power to not be part of the United States. (laughs) I just, it's in the word, unite. They did not want to unite. They wanted to secede. You dumb as fuck. You dumb as fuck. We need to stop (laughs) honoring the country's oppressive background and start giving the acknowledgements to the people who actually deserve it. Sorry, I got so angry I forgot how to speak. Uh, Speaking of people that actually deserve it, sorry if I'm cutting you off before you're done, but there's a new movie on Netflix called, uh, what is it? Uh, Knock Down the House. And it's, oh, I haven't heard it's of it. about AOC and three other um, female politicians that ran in 2018. Um, and they were running against um, like Republican candidates, I'm pretty sure who had like dominated that office for like a long time. So they were like really like upsetting the thing. So there's um, that doc is like on Netflix. Now there's also some showings and like uh, a few cities around the country. And it's apparently like incredibly good. So I haven't watched it yet because I don't have Netflix anymore, but I'm going to try and hunt it down somewhere. It's apparently. No, I think there should absolutely be a movement towards like giving more, attention to people who aren't the faces of history like when you think of history you think of the founding fathers or privileged white men like sims sorry (laughs) no it's okay or privileged white men like sims i'll repeat that so you can put that one in (laughs) no i i'm just gonna leave my fucking ugly sneeze in there that's basically all i have i just 
it it blows my mind and I hate talking about this, but I'm also glad that I stumbled upon that article because I would have never known about the women behind what he did. And you know what? We're going to keep finding shit that we should know about and we're going to tell you about it. Yeah, we want to focus on victims because I feel like perpetrators, serial killers always get the most attention and people forget about the others who had to either die or suffer and don't get anything but maybe like a brief mention that's not okay no like you should not just be remembered by who killed you that's so disrespectful that's not all your life was you were a human with a life and friends and family i don't understand i don't want to give glorification and attention because that's all they want but that's another story for another time right the idea of mass shooters oh ooh. anyway i actually okay never mind i will tell you later um, <laughs> i'm not gonna do it right now um but yeah that's something that um you guys will have to look forward to um coming down the line we have so much more we are only on episode two of season one y'all should see our doc (laughs) (laughs) it's so long (laughs) but thank you guys so much as always for being patient with us i pray to the lord that this output sounds good taylor's been really awesome about editing so far taylor's almost killed herself three times because it's so (laughs) bad and just up and fucking moved to California or some shit. But <laughs> we tested this like four times before we actually started recording and it actually works and we sound way better. And um, yeah, so I think we're good. We All right. should be good. Um, follow us on our social media. Leave us some comments on iTunes. We will even take hate comments. I don't give a shit. Just give us a five star rating. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got that low rating on Apple Podcasts, but it was very helpful because it definitely motivated us. That's exactly why we are re-recording because the sound was, yeah. Thank you, kind stranger, if you're listening. And it was still nice at the same time. So it's like Johnny Appleseed. I think that was your username. So thank you. I actually like we deeply appreciated it. We're not mad. Um, so neither one of us are like audio engineers or like anything like that. So we're winging this entire thing. So we will take anything. Um, but yeah, uh, social media majored in psych.com. Uh, there we have, like I said earlier, we have links to places where you can donate for Flint and Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we will see you guys next episode hope you enjoy what you have heard sorry about the gory details mentions of psychotic episodes and mutilation have a great night (laughs) we will i'm gonna sleep right now